Please join me in the prayer for illumination. Holy God, reveal your presence to us this day as we journey this path with your Son. Through all of life's trials and tribulations, your word sustains us for the journey ahead. Send your spirit upon us that we might listen, discern, and take heart. Amen. Our scripture today comes from Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through 17. Hear these words. A little later, Jesus went to a city called Nain. His disciples and a great crowd traveled with him. As he approached the city gate, a dead man was being carried out. He was his mother's only son, and she was a widow. A large crowd from the city was with her. When he saw her, the Lord had compassion for her and said, don't cry. He stepped forward and touched the stretcher on which the dead man was being carried. Those carrying him stood still, and Jesus said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Awestruck, everyone praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding region. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you so much, uh, Pastor Peter. Thank you so much to all the congregation and particularly to Paul. Uh, it's been almost uh, over a year ago that we had a class together precisely in Galveston and we were having a conversation and then we had another class in Houston and we were talking about his church and his dreams and goals for this congregation. And we've been praying about this and thanks be to God that we were able to come, that we were able to put this weekend together. I hope you enjoy Friday and Saturday, a day of service. I think it was a great opportunity for all of us to, to come together and to be the body of Christ and to serve one another. So I want to express my gratitude to all of you for hospitality, Pastor Peter, Pastor Josh, all the congregation. Thank you so much. It's been great to be here with you this weekend. Thinking about this weekend and thinking about a Sunday of celebration, uh, I think Paul will tell you that I'm not your typical professor, and I tend to use passages that don't fit quite well into certain situations because the passage that we just heard today is about a funeral. And yes, sometimes we do call a funeral the celebration of life. We celebrate the person that passed away and we celebrate. But usually we don't think about funerals as something to party or something to have like a great gathering where people rejoice and have fun. In fact, um, how many of you have been to a funeral? Raise your hand. All of us have. Okay. Now let me ask you a follow-up question. How many of you have been to a funeral, but you didn't make it because the funeral had to be canceled? <laughs> okay, there is one. Oh, wow. That, I like to talk to you. <laughs> you caught my attention. Uh, usually, funerals tend to be very traditional. There are many customs to follow. Yes, there are certain particular cultural differences in terms of funeral, but usually you go to a funeral not expecting any surprises, much less miracles, or much less a cancellation. 
I can perhaps I can think that maybe the person, the body was not ready. I, I'm just, I'm, I'm intrigued. <laughs> well, this morning I want to share with you about a funeral that was canceled for a very interesting reason. So if you have your Bibles, if you have your bulletins, I would encourage you to keep, keep them uh, open so you can follow along. But before we go into the Word of God, let's one more time pray and ask God to lead us and guide us. God, one more time, we want to come before you with humble hearts, asking us to inspire us, to help us to understand the meaning to be in mission with you. Uh, God, I give thanks to you for everyone here, for the persons in this congregation, the leaders, the pastors, and the many people that are committed to serve you and to serve your people. And I ask you, God, that your Holy Spirit will keep moving them around so they can reach out to neighbors and touch them in a meaningful way. And God, as we explore your word, help us. Help us to understand what a compassionate answer means and what type of person should we become and be. In your name we pray and we give you thanks. Amen. Amen. I want to begin uh, calling your attention to the passage that we read and I want to highlight some of the key players in, in the whole scene. So we have a funeral, there is a, a, we have a funeral that a dead person is being carried out. And we don't know his age, we don't know, there is no mentioning of his wife or children. So we can assume that he had no other direct relatives but his mother, right? We can assume and we can look around some of the, you'll follow along in the PowerPoint slides. We can assume that he was the only source of income and support for his mother. He was the caregiver, he had no other relatives. We can assume that he had a good relationship with the mother. His mom, and maybe he's, he's not married, he stayed at home. He was a caregiver and they had a fantastic relationship. Now I want you to think and imagine the mother in that funeral scene. I want you to think and, 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 and imagine what's going on in her mind, in her heart. It's a heart-wrenching thought to think about when somebody loses a child. This woman, a widow, with no husband, with the only source of support, now he is gone. On Friday, I made reference about the nature of women in this typical Jewish society. She's crying, she's worried about finances, she's a single woman with no male support in a male-dominated society. And just to depict the, the nature of this condition and how stressed she was, let me read to you a typical male Jewish prayer so you can understand the condition of women at that time. She would, uh, the, the prayer goes like this, God, I thank thee that I was not born a dog, I thank thee that I was not born a Gentile, and I thank thee that I was not born a woman. In that order. Think about that. You're a woman, the only male relative you have is now gone. You have no property rights, no civil rights. You could not participate in worship. There were, this person, this woman is marginal now, depending on this son, and now he's gone. What's on her mind? What is she thinking? She's suffering the loss of her son, and yet is also thinking about the future. Who's gonna take care of me? What am I gonna do with the house? Who's gonna provide for me? She is all alone, she is in this funeral, people are uh, crying surrounding her and she feels completely isolated, alone, left out. She is desperate, no doubt. 
Do you know people in that condition today? Can you think of persons that find themselves afraid all the time? Concerned about the future? Can you think of persons that their existence is threatened by some of the conversations that we have in our society today? I work with undocumented migrant workers in my first appointment in the US. And they are in fear all the time. You can agree or disagree to the situations. I'm just telling you how these persons feel. They feel that their life is at risk and their future is uncertain. There are many people out there for a number of circumstances that they find themselves in a very similar situation like the mother in this story. What do we do? You have these two crowds coming and going in the funeral. In a typical Jewish funeral, you would see that people would uh, be, um, they would be paid to go to a funeral so you can cry to express uh, grief. So you did have this woman, one crowd coming with Jesus, one with her, but she's all alone. Nobody understands her situation. She's wondering about her future. And we have this woman asking, what's going to happen to me? But thankfully, my friends, the story doesn't end right there. We have another character into the story, Jesus. And he comes along, and what's his reaction? I, I, I love that this is a funeral. is going in a typical, customary way. No changes, no surprises, but Jesus is there. He has a big crowd with him. There is a big crowd in the funeral. And then on verse 13, the same word that I used yesterday for the parable of the Good Samaritan comes back again. On verse 13, he says, When the Lord saw her, he had compassion. Here again, the key word is compassion. In many translations, many different translations in Scripture, they translate this uh, particular scene. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion. He felt pity for her. He felt sorry for her. His heart went out. His heart was filled with pity. His heart went out to her. All of those words you can see, and th these are different ways to translate what he felt in that moment. Compassion, I was sharing with you yesterday, is only used 12 times in the New Testament. Ten times to describe God's character, God's actions, and two times to describe human actions. The passage on the Good Samaritan and this one right here. To describe human emotions, to, to think about how he felt about that particular situation. And we can go to the next slide. Literally, we can see that this, uh, this feeling of compassion is a pain in your stomach, in your gut. We can translate this literally, say, his gut went out, he felt, have you felt, uh, felt this pain inside your gut when you are nervous, when you have experienced some deep pain? This is the type of pain that compassion seems to be translated here. That there is this deep pain that he feels empathy and sympathy for this woman, and, and, and he's trying to do something because he can feel her pain. Can you feel somebody's pain? Can you understand the sorrow and the grief that she's going? Can you relate to that? And then he said to her, still in verse 13, don't cry. I want you to picture that scene. 
The woman is all alone, thinking about her future, concerned about her well-being. He makes eye contact and she says to her, he says to her, I understand, don't cry, I'm here. If you go to a funeral, or people have been close to you in a funeral, and people sometimes, they use this cliche kind of words. Don't cry, everything is gonna be all right. Uh, don't worry, God is in control, everything is gonna happen, everything is gonna be okay. And you are in pain and you hear those kinds of words, that's not exactly what we have in Jesus' reaction. And we can go to the next slide. It's not a cliche, it's more than being polite, it's more than feeling uneasy. He's looking at her eyes and understanding exactly the way she feels. In fact, there is a German theologian that I don't quote many times, but Moment believes that God suffers with you and with me, that God enters our own human existence and understands your pain. Because God lost a son and he understands exactly the way you and I feel. So when Jesus makes eye contact with this woman, he's saying, I, cannot, I know exactly how you feel. When my sister lost her husband, somebody approached her and they had a three-month-old baby, and he was a youth pastor. It was a very sad situation. And somebody came to her and said to her, I know your pain. And my sister looked around and said, no, you don't. You never lost a husband. But Jesus does. He understands. He, his compassion understands the grief and the sorrow and the pain of all the marginalized people. He not only understands, but he takes a proactive action, an active role, and does something for that situation. It's not only the, oh yeah, I understand, I feel you're paid, oh it, feel, it pains me to see you that way. No, he goes beyond that and says, now that I understand your pain, I'm going to do something about it because I can sympathize with you, I can empathize with you, and I'll do something to relieve you from your pain. He takes action. Then he went up to the, where the, the dead man was, touched the coffin, and those who were carrying it stood still. I want you to picture this. I want you to picture that there is a coffin right here. We have a funeral, and everything is going to, according to tradition, according to the rules, everything is going well, and then this crazy guy out of the blue comes and puts his hand on top of the coffin. He says, get up! What would you say if somebody interrupts a funeral and stops the funeral, touches the coffin, and says, I say to you, get up! What the? Let me tell you about the Old Testament. You were told specifically not to touch dead people, not to be close to coffins. Those were the rules in the traditions, and we can go to the next slide. Why in the world is Jesus challenging rules, traditions? Why is he interrupting a funeral service that is going quite well as planned? Those who, so who were carrying the body like, hey, I'm not, what? Forget about it. Do you see it? He is doing something non-traditional, non-orthodox, challenging rules, traditions, because he is a compassionate person and he's moved to do something for those who are experiencing pain, even when that implies going against the rules. 
Compassion in action is what, what, is what is needed. That's what we need today. And friends, this is not something new. How often you and I sometimes reason and try to justify our lack of involvement. Well, that's not illegal, that's not legal, that's not correct. We always done it that way. Well, that's changing the rules and the traditions of sausage church of denomination because we don't want to do anything different. Are we thinking about ourselves or are we thinking about those who are we trying to help? Are we trying to be pleased in our own goals and purposes or are we trying to do what God is asking us to do and challenge in the same way that Jesus did, rules and traditions. Let me just say, uh, I teach Christian ethics, and some of my students get a little bit surprised when I begin to ask them certain questions about morality. You know, Christ was not the first one who broke the law or the rules and the traditions. Do you remember some women in the Old Testament, midwives? that they were told by Pharaoh to kill every single baby boy that is born? Did they follow the law? No, they did not. They saved Moses and those, they saved the people of Israel. Remember another woman, Rahab? What did she do? She was hosting <laughs> spies <laughs> in her house. And when people from her town come and say, hey, do you have any strangers, any foreigners in your house? Nope, we don't have any. She lied. And where does she, her name appear again in scripture? Jesus' genealogy. Her lie made her into Jesus' genealogy. You don't believe me? Well, what happened to Peter and John after they healed a lame beggar in front of the gate? Acts 5, 29. They say, we must obey God rather than human laws. Do you remember, maybe you do, maybe you've read, when segregation was legal in the U.S.? It was legal to segregate and to discriminate. That was the law. But thanks be to God, to Dr. Martha King Jr., who promoted civil disobedience and wrote the following speech. We must come to see that the, at the end of, we seek, that the end we seek is a society at peace with itself, a society that can live with its conscience. I know you're asking today, how long will it take? I come to say to you this afternoon, however difficult the moment, however frustrating the hour, it will not be long because truth pressed to earth will rise again. How long? Not too long because no lie can live forever. How long? Not too long because you'll still reap what you sow. How long? Not long because the arm of the moral universe is long and it bends toward justice. How long? Not long because my eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Thanks be to God for people and prophets who challenge the law, who challenge the traditions because they are moved by compassion. The miracle is not complete. He disrupts the funeral, touches a coffin. He says, young man, I say to you, get up. Everybody's like, oh, what in the world is happening here? Jesus has authority and compassion and offers wars and deeds coming together. This type of compassion challenges and offers restoration. What is he doing? The restoration. On verse 15, Jesus gave him back to his mother. We can go to the next one. 
What is he giving back to this woman that was in pain? Not only the son that she lost, she's giving back to this woman security, healing, stability, complete restoration, a new life, a new beginning, socially and spiritually. And then the crowds that were around him, what was their reaction? They praised God and they said, God has come to help God's people. The crowds that were suspicious, that were disturbed by the actions of Jesus, at the end of the day, that after the result of the miracle, they were able to understand the actions and the meaning behind it. Brothers and sisters, do we reflect this kind of compassion? Is this the sign of our Christian identity? Do we live in this way, moved by compassion, and then we challenge people around us? Laws, rules, traditions? I want to conclude this presentation with a clip from a movie. It's been out quite some time. It's a, a theater play as well, Le Mis. The author is a, has a fantastic name, by the way. <laughs> you got it. John Valjean is the main character. He's been on parole and he is now out of prison. He has served time because he stole food to feed his family. You know the story. But he's a bitter person. And soon, in this particular scene that we're about to watch, he encounters a compassionate priest. He is invited to have dinner with him. He's invited to stay at his house. And one, in, in the middle of the night, after he had dinner and he went to his bedroom to sleep, let's see what he does and ask ourselves about this compassion and action and think about the way that we respond to it. This scene would depict exactly what I'm talking about. I don't want to hear anything more about it. I'm sorry to disturb you. You caught him. But I had my eye on this man. Oh, thank God. I'm very angry with you, Jean Valjean. What happened to your eye, Monseigneur? Didn't he tell you he was our guest last night? Oh, yes. After we searched his knapsack and found all this silver, he claimed <laughs> that you gave it to him. Yes? Of course I gave him the silverware. But why didn't you take the candlesticks? That was very foolish. Madame Gillot, fetch the silver candlesticks. They're worth at least 2,000 francs. Why did you leave them? Hurry. Monsieur Valjean has to get going. He's lost a lot of time. Did you forget to take them? Are you saying he told us the truth? Of course. Thank you for bringing him back. I'm very relieved. Release him. You're really letting me go? Didn't you understand the bishop? Madam, you know, offer these men some wine. They must be thirsty. Thank you. And don't forget. Don't ever forget. 
You've promised to become a new man. Promise? Why are you doing this? Jean Valjean, my brother, you no longer belong to evil. With this silver, I've bought your soul. I've ransomed you from fear and hatred. And now I give you back to God. wonderful scene after this moment his life is changed and he becomes a new man how many of us are we willing to be compassionate in the same way that Jesus and the bishop are we willing to challenge the rules and traditions for the well-being of others are we willing to be a community that is defined by the life and character of Christ if you feel rejected left out Christ is here with you. If you want to be a compassionate person, Christ is here with you. May help us to reach out to those who are in need and for us to be compassionate. Amen.